0: Okay, um, we continue with a series on scriptural symbols that are prophetic writers. Um, I just pray that God is helping us to see these things and to follow them through. We continue tonight with the one on The sun and the moon being darkened. I didn't mention that before that I'm going to be dealing with this. One thing again I want you to understand is all these terms are interrelated in the scriptures. The darkening of the sun and the moon is directly connected to the great day of the Lord. Blood, I mean sun turned into blood, and things like that. They are all interwoven in scriptures. So I want you to understand it, because you see, where you have the day of the Lord, like we said before, uh, like will say, what is it to you, those of you that desire the day of the Lord, once you have that, automatically you're coming to the issue of uh, judgment and tribulations that are coming to nations, and then the next thing you see is the prophetic or the symbolic use of the sun being darkened and the moon not giving her light. Hallelujah. So tonight, I want us to deal with one particular scripture. I'm still going to touch the Old Testament on this, but this scripture I want us to actually look at tonight, Acts chapter 2 and looking from verse 17. Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 17. Praise God. There in this scripture, the Bible says, this, uh, remember that happened on the day of Pentecost, uh, after that the Holy Ghost has come down, and then Peter was speaking, and he said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, of God, and I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Amen. Verse eighteen says, "And on my servant and on my handmaid, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke." I remember I did explaining this in our previous studies. Amen. All right, but the key point we need tonight is verse twenty: "The sun shall be turned into darkness." And the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Amen. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right. The sun shall be done into darkness and the moon before the notable day of the Lord. Okay. What does the darkness of the sun stand for? That's what we really want to examine tonight. Darkness of the sun or the moon. What does it stand for in scriptures? What's the meaning? What is the prophetic language that it carries, you know? How does it impact people? And, uh, for instance, when, when, when Peter was speaking on this particular day, remember the people came out and said, brethren, what shall we do? How I many of you remember that? They came to ask a question because they understood peter was saying when he made reference to the darkening of the sun and the moon before the great and terrible day of the lord they understood that peter was actually making reference to a period of distress and judgment that was going to come upon israel so in, in that sense you understand that when we read scripture we're talking about the darkening of the sun and the moon then we're looking at a situation where god intends to unleash A kind of terrible judgment upon the people that that world is sent to. Amen? Praise the living God. So when we talk about darkness of nations, I mean, of this particular issue, the sun and the moon being darkened, we're just talking about the darkness of nations, distress and sorrows and desolations. That will come to these people. When, when, when a word comes to a people and he said, a time is coming for the darkening of the sun and the moon, what God is simply saying there is, there's gonna be a time of deep distress for such nations, a time of sorrow, a time of desolations, that God has kind of Allow, or is going to allow to come to such people to which the world is coming unto. Amen? Are you done with me? Okay, I'm going to give you an example, some examples in Scripture's Old Testament for you to understand precisely what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. Remember what he said, this is the last day. Alright? So let me say something here again. The last day have nothing to do with something in the future. When Peter used that word, this is the last day, or this is that which is spoken by Prophet Joel, in the last day. The last day is directly connected to the coming to a conclusion of the Old Testament. and the beginning of a new day. So right from when Peter said this thing on the day of Pentecost, now we are in the last day. The last day is not in the future. The last day is not something that started yesterday. No. You see, when people look at the book, I think, Second Timothy 3 or 4, and they talk about uh, when the scripture begins to talk about in the last day perilous times shall abound, perilous time is not in connection one bit to terrible times and seasons. Perilous time has to do with what is going to be obtainable in the church. Men being lovers of themselves are not loving God. They have nothing to do with the world. It was what was going to happen in the church. You may need to read from other translations. What it means to say it's going to be a difficult time for people to be Christians because they are going to be lovers of themselves. Have nothing to do with the world. Hallelujah. But real time simply means how time for believers ought to be a believer. That's the sense that the word is used, They have nothing to do with the world. But we've we'll been using that to preach. I don't know if some of you have noticed somewhere there, there is this poster that is reading that Jesus appeared to one lecturer at the College of Education in Oboroké and told him that rapture is very close. As you walk by, just go down and look at it. And they had meetings for 14th and 13th of of August or something like that. July, I don't know. I never had the time. I wanted to go visit and let him tell us exactly what Jesus told him. All right? Sometimes you have this revelation based on the imaginations and the things that you also believed. Praise God. So now, let's go to the Old Testament and then look at a few scriptures in relation to the darkening of the sun and the moon, what it really stands for. Let's first of all talk to Isaiah 13. I remember reading this scripture some three weeks ago. But I have to read it because, like I said, it always goes together with the issue of the day of the Lord and the darkening of the sun and the moon. They always go together, as it were. So Isaiah 13, verse number 9. Again, understand that Isaiah 13, if you take time to read from other translations, you're going to find that it was a burden. When you say a burden, it's God speaking about the things he wants to do to specific nations. So if you check out in the book of Isaiah chapter 13, begin to read down. You're going to see the issue of Babylon, the issue of these nations. All nations that were mentioned in that place have a burden from the Lord. You know what a want from the Lord concerning them. What He wants to do. That is all about Isaiah 13. Amen. Okay, let's begin to look at it. Isaiah 13, verse number 9. Uh, so here the Bible says, Behold, are you done with me? The day of the Lord cometh. Watch that. Cruel, but with wrath and fierce anger. You remember when we were treating the day of the Lord, we read this as well. Okay? Alright. To lay the land desolate, and it shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellation thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And now will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Amen? Like I told us before, this prophecy actually is describing the destruction of Babylon. Praise the living God, the destruction of Babylon, one among those kingdoms that God was kind of speaking about in Isaiah chapter 13. So this was the destruction of Babylon. Now, let me prove that to you. Um, Go to verse 17. Go to verse 17 of Isaiah 13. And look at what it says. Behold, I will stir up which people, the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Did you get that? I shall stay up the Mildes. What God is saying is, I'm gonna send the Merediths, the Medo patients, to go destroy Babylon. And nothing's gonna turn them away from achieving what I'm sending them for. When he said they wanna regards to regard your goal, it's like saying nothing's gonna call your attention other than doing what God is asking them or is sending them for to do. Amen? Praise the Lord. Are you following this? So now, when God begins to say, the sun and the moon shall not give their light, as far as Babylon is concerned, he's saying, God is going to take away everything that was supposedly, was going light. By implication, a time of distress, a time of desolation, and a time of destruction. So when God used that word, the darkening of the sun and the moon for a particular nation, it simply means God is about to uproot that nation from the place where you were supposed to be. Now how many of you understand that Babylon was a golden cup in the hand of God? Amen. In the book of Jeremiah you find that I read to you the other time how God spoke in Jeremiah 25 and he says Nebuchadnezzar is what? His servant. So Babylon was a golden cup in the hands of God. In other words, God was drinking out of the hands of Babylon. By implication, Babylon was a servant to God because the golden cup can only be borne by the servant of the king. Are you there? Good. Now, but with that high exhortation, the Babylon seemingly occupied in the hands of God. The Bible now said, "Here comes a time when He begins to prophesy that the sun and the moon of Babylon will no longer do what give a light." In other words, God was bringing down Babylon to the place of desolation, and that is what connects you to Isaiah chapter fourteen. When we begin to speak of that which is called Lucifer. Lucifer have nothing to do with an angel. I keep repeating. It's all about King Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. The Bible says you've come down to the grave where you sent other kings to. Right? In your lifetime, there was music in your palace. What it means to say is just exactly how David was playing music for Saul in his palace. And those times you find kings bringing musicians to play for them, to entertain them. What I was trying to say is, you've always had the opportunity of being entertained with music in your palace. And so you had the opportunity, even at that time, to enjoy life. And you destroy kings, never knowing that God was using you. But now it's your time to come down to the grave. And the kings you killed before and I say, oh, so you can come here too. Do you understand that? That is what Isaiah 14 is all about. They have nothing to do with one thing that was playing music and that people begin to tell you that Lucifer was a choir master in heaven. It's not your record. Are you getting what I'm talking about? That's a crazy thinking. Crazy way of thinking. People are not taking time to read the scriptures and I keep saying this. Isaiah 14 was spiritualized by one of the forefathers of, of, of the Christianity called Origen. He is the one that actually used Isaiah 14 to say he's an angel. Bible never says so. Amen. Right. So here we find that the darkening of the sun and the moon was the bringing down of the realm of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, the nation of Babylon. And it's a time of distress, a time of sorrow. You can see how that connects to what Peter was saying on the day of Pentecost: The sun shall not give a life, the moon shall not give a life before the great and terrible day of the Lord. What it really meant to say is, all of these things, in other words, Israel is going to lose its prominence and its place of power and dominion before the final destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And the people who understand them, based on prophetic words, that have gone forth to other nations before, they came and said, brethren, what shall we do? In other words, tell us what to do to escape what we are just talking about. They understood. When they talk about the darkness of the sun and the moon. Amen. Praise the living God. And when he was saying here. Uh, you know if you look at this place it said. The Lord said I will punish the world for his evil. That is not speaking about the universe. He's just talking about those who lived within the realm at which he was prophesying. How many of you remember we dealt with the issue of the world before? So you go back and read. When you talk about the world, you're not talking about the universe. You're not talking about the globe. It has to do directly connected to the people that God is talking to or addressing at a particular time. Praise God. Nothing to do with the universe. So here in Act, I mean, Isaiah 13, God was actually addressing the nation or the kingdom of Babylon. And those are the people referred to as the world. Other times, like we said before, referred to them as the arts. How many of you remember that? Praise God. Alright. So let's move on. Uh, wow. Mhm. So, when we talk about, one more time, the stars, the moon, the light, been darkened and not giving your light, it's a direct like I said before, to times of great tribulations and distress and desolation of nations. And in this case, the nation of what? Babylon. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, when trouble begins to come, as it were, that when God up the, the major of patience, and they begin to come into Babylon, then their sun and their moon was going down. Is that all right? Praise the living God. Okay. So here we can see it's not talking about physical sun and the moon. Geographically speaking, how many of you know that it's sun, for instance, (laughs) when you look at the book of Matthew 24, people talk about the stars shall fall. Now, if you go astronomically, you find that some of these stars are even bigger than the earth. How many of you know that? So how can a bigger object fall into a smaller object? I mean, this is, this is, I mean, I don't know how to describe this. I mean, the way Christians think is amazing. Look at it. Even the sun. Now, ordinarily, the sun itself is a star. So a star shall fall. Think about it. Let's imagine that the sun was going to fall down to the earth. How far will it get before the earth gets consumed? By the heat of the sun. But they are expecting the sun to fall down to the earth too because the sun is a star. Amen? When When it is time for Over here in our season, of dry season, you know what it means. The kind of heat you begin to receive. Are you there with me? That is even with all the distance that the sun occupies to the earth. Now picture the sun beginning to come down. Before it comes, the earth will melt. And somebody is expecting the sun to fall. When even astronomical, simple geography will tell you that that is practically impossible. Hallelujah. And again, if you want to go by geography, the sun is not directly opposite the earth. How I many of you know that? Because the earth is rotating on its axis. So, how can the sun fall when both of them are not on this way? They are going this way. It's turning around. Are you getting that? The earth is rotating and it's getting a reflection from the sun. That's why you have your day and night. So the sun is more opposite or directly upon the earth. So why can it fall on it? May God help believers. Praise the living God. <laughs> okay, let's look at another scripture. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 5 and uh, I think verse 30. Let's look at Isaiah 5, verse 30. The same figurative language about the sun and the moon darkening. Isaiah 5, verse 30. Praise the Lord. The Bible says here, And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea, and of all look unto the land. Behold, darkness and sorrow, and the light is darkening in the heavens thereof. Now, I made us to understand this prophetic word came to pass in 721 B.C. on Judah by the Assyrians. praise the living God. This was the invasions of the Assyrians in 721 B.C. Amen. Israel suffered darkness of the sun and the moon. That's why I'm saying. When Peter made mention of these, those who understood prophetic language at that moment, they came out to say, man, what shall we do? To escape that which you are speaking already. Because like here in Isaiah, we find that that took place, like I said, 721 BC. When the Assyrian invaded Israel and destroyed it. They suffered a great drought, great calamity, great destruction, heavy distress. Praise the living God. I made also understand sometimes you can't picture what happened to Israel when these things were going on. Because, you see, if you read the Bible, there comes some time in scriptures, even in history, where we meant to understand that people were eating, literally eating their children. I remember reading one of the books of uh, Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish man, but a Jewish historian. who recorded a lot of what happened in the days of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD seventy. He had a lot of books, but one of the books I wrote, The State of Blood, by Josephus. I think I see have a copy of that book in my library. Uh, the head a report that was given that two women agreed because the farmer, pharma- remember, listen, this is how it was going. The enemy that wants to destroy this nation comes and they'll come pass around. Now, then the cities were walled up. Is that okay? With gates to enter. So when enemies comes that way, the gates are all shut. In other words, you don't go out and you don't come in. And they can remain there for such a long time. That's why when you read the scripture, it talks about the days of farming. Sometimes, not just the farming, all that talk about farming and farming of the world in the book of Isaiah, I mean Amos, but literal farming and distress and sorrow. The farming is in the fact that you can go out, you can go to the field, you can go to the farm, you are there, therefore, hunger will begin to deal with everybody in the city. Now, in the case of Jerusalem, two women agreed and said, man, we can't just die like that. Let's eat our children. Okay? And then, the first woman brought the baby, they killed the child, eat up the baby. And then when the food stuff was done, <laughs> the other woman said, can we can we have yours now? And you must said, no. <laughs> I can't kill my child. So he brought you to trouble, <laughs> and then they started quarrelling and fighting. But then they've eaten up the other woman's child because the famine was terrible. People were eating themselves, killing themselves. You know, if you read the destruction of Jerusalem when the siege really came, man, it's not story you like to read. It was horrible. So this is it. So when the people saw or uh, uh, Peter prophesy on that particular day, in quote the darkness of the sun and the moon before the great and terrible of the Lord, they knew that trouble is coming. Those who had ear to hear, they did what? They heard. And they simply said, what shall we do? And Peter rightly made it clear that those who believe shall be what? Saved. Saved from what? It's not talking to you in that sense. Is that okay? He was speaking to the people. He was telling them, if you can believe what I'm talking about, you shall be saved. Save yourself from this untoward generation. That's what Peter used the word for when he spoke to the people. And they knew precisely what Peter was talking about. And for those who heard what Peter said, they escaped the damnation that came on Jerusalem in AD 70. Praise the Lord. So we're not dealing with literal sun and moon getting darkened up in the sky. Bible is not teaching that. He can use some of those things figuratively to explain something. When God talks about fig trees, it's not saying go and look for fig trees. He's referring to Israel. Israel was a fig tree. Remember he caused a fig tree in the book of Matthew? I mean, if you remember that. And he left, he the left and came about in the and the Bible made us to understand the people say, Hey, come on, the fig tree he caused yesterday is wither from the roots. And Jesus made a statement, no man will eat of thee anymore. It has leaves, but no fruit. You know what that means? Full of religion, but no results. The same thing you find in the book of Genesis. The Bible says, when Adam and Eve sin, what did they do? They saw fig leaves religion, to cover themselves. So when Jesus called the fig tree, he knew what he was saying. No man will eat of deer anymore. In other words, the religion of Judaism and will die from this moment. Praise God. Are you following this? Let me give you another example. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 30. Uh, Okay, I don't think we're going to read all of this, but Isaiah thirty verse 18, write it down, then 32, verse 7 and 8. I uh, don't know if I can read that. But this actually has to do with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, um, Pharaoh, king of Pharaoh, been destroyed. You can just read that. 7 and 8, that please speaks about... As they can have in this, also the day shall be darkened, and when I shall break there the yokes of Egypt, and the pomp of her strength shall cease in her. As for her, a cloud shall cover her, and her daughter shall go into captivity. Amen. That is what you're going to find in that passage there. So right there, God was talking about Egypt, the destruction of Egypt. Again, and He talks about a cloud covering the city, the sun being darkened, the moon being darkened. What did I say? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Is that alright? Ezekiel 30, 18, then 32, 7, and 8. Just write it down. And then you check it up later. Praise the Lord. So here's a prophecy concerning Egypt. The nation will have been destroyed by God using the Babylonians. I said that again in the last studies we had, especially if you check Ezekiel 30, verse number 10. You find that God used the Babylonians to do this job. And that was done in 572 B.C. When Egypt was destroyed by the Babylonians. That was the darkening of the sun and the moon over Babylon. I mean over Egypt. Pharaoh and his people. Praise the living God. Come on, are you there with me? All right. So, the destruction of Egypt caused the darkness of distress and desolations as the Babylonians came to conquer this particular nation. Again, I want to say this. When nations are conquered, it is seen to mean the sun and the moon have been darkened. Is that okay? Praise the living God. Okay, let's turn one more time to... um, this is another Israel picture here in the book of Amos. Amos, I think, uh, what passage is this that I'm looking for? Is it Amos 5 9? Um, I gave this to you the other time, but I missed the passage right now. Amos 5, I'm sure. It's 9. I not know if I'm right, my scripture here. But I'm going to get the verse, and he says, And it shall come to pass in that day, see, the Lord God, and I will cause his son to go down at noon and I will, I will darken the earth in the clear day. Amos here, like I said before, prophesied for Israel, and this concerned the destruction and the captivity of Israel in 721 BC by the Assyrians as well. Okay, um, let's just move on very quickly and get to Zephaniah. I think this one will be okay for us, so that you can see what I mean precisely as well. Let's go to Zephaniah chapter 1 and read the... Uh, Fourteen and fifteen only. Let's just see that. It's a little more pronounced here. A little more pronounced here in Zephaniah. So Zephaniah chapter one. Let's look at fourteen to fifteen. Praise the Lord. The Bible said the great day of the Lord is near. It is near. Now hasten greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. Are you done with me in the book of Zephaniah? Okay. Let me just pick this up very quickly. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let me just quickly, all right. So he said, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and I hasten greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry dear bitterly. Verse 15. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. A day of weakness and desolation. A day of what? Darkness and gloomness. A day of clouds and thick darkness. So now, watch this? When there is clear darkness, it means the sun and the moon have become what? Darkened. When he used the word "great darkness, it simply means the sun and the moon is no longer giving forth what? Her light. Praise the Lord. So here we'll find that it is a very clear word when the Bible talks about darkness over a nation. And like I said before, even in this particular passage, we're dealing with the house of Israel. Praise the living God. A great darkness... When the Bible uses the word darkness of the cloud, it means the sun is darkened, the moon is darkened, because when those two things goes off, darkness comes in. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Good. In the night, when the darkness I mean the moon is not there, there is darkness. In the day, when the sun is not there, there is what? Darkness. So when you say the darkness of the sun or the moon, it becomes a great darkness of cloud. No more cloud. Over our nation. Of course, to me, When darkness comes, it simply means the power have been removed. Praise the living God. So the next thing to expect is not about what? Destruction. Hallelujah. Now turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Let's just take these uh, scriptures now and see what it looks like. Matthew 24. Hallelujah. Look at verse 29. For those of us who are not familiar with these kind of studies, let me reiterate the fact that My 24 is not a scripture to be fulfilled tomorrow. We've not yet uh, published the study we've done on My 24 verse by verse. When he talks about earthquakes, sorrows, pains, whatever, in the book of Matthew, actually, verse number 8, and it said there will be great sorrow. If you check out that translation, it's like the kind of sorrow that a woman experiences when she's about to give birth. But you see, after that, the scripture says, but that is not the end. Amen. Are you getting what I'm saying now? So what God was saying essentially, now if you go back again to the book of Luke, Jesus speaking and he was saying, when you see the distress of nations and the calamities that are going to come upon the nation, say, look up for your salvation, draw it nigh. How many of you understand that? So the sorrow that Matthew 24 was talking about was the birth of a new order. The pains of the old order is giving birth to the new order. That is why if you go back to the book of, down to the book of Revelation 12, you find a woman that was clothed with the sun. With twelve stars on her hair and the moon under her feet. And the Bible made us to understand the woman brought forth what? A man child that would rule the nations. Have you been able to piece that together? Down to the book of John chapter number 13, I mean John 16, down to 17. Jesus was speaking to the disciples and he said, You're going to have sorrow, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Amen? And he gave a simple illustration. He said when a woman is in bad pain, she feels the pain. But when he brought forth a man child, her joy overcomes what? The pains. So you find actually that the woman you find in Revelation 12 is supposed to be the church that is bringing forth the man child. And that church that is bringing for the man-child have the moon under her feet. What it simply means is it has the core religion of Judaism under her feet. The 12 stars on her head are the 12 apostles of Jesus. Clothed with the glory of the Lord. So it's an overcoming church from the core religion bringing for the man-child that will rule the nations. Are you following me? Praise the Lord. So let's get now to Mighty 24. Mighty twenty-four is not something that's going to be fulfilled tomorrow. It's a thing that was actually fulfilled in AD seventy. Jesus rightly said, this generation will not pass till all these things be the what? Fulfilled. Generation, like I always say, is just forty years. Biblically speaking, generation in the Bible is 40 years. Amen. Hallelujah. So Matthew 24, look at verse 29. The Bible said immediately after the tribulation of those days, are you there now? Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give a light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be what? Shaken. I think in the next story I'm going to show you the shaking of the powers and the shaking of the earth. For Hebrews, God said, I shake not only the heaven, but also what the earth. I'll make you see that next week. Hallelujah. Here we'll find that the Bible is saying, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the heavens will no longer give a light. In other words, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall be darkened. Or the next thing, the stars shall begin to do what? Fall. I'm sure I've explained this to you before. The falling of the stars have nothing to do with astronomical stars dropping from the sky, it has to do with the Levitical Order and the priesthood that was occupying the place of prominence before the rest of the people. They were the stars of God. As so a then. And I try to explain to you if your mind can quickly go back to the book of Genesis, you find that the eleven stars that bowed down to Joseph were his eleven brothers. The sun was his father, the moon his mother. And they bowed down to him in Egypt. How many of you remember this story? So stars are people. We are not talking about Neptune and uh, whatever, Jupiter. How many stars you find up in the heavens? A lot of galaxies are coming up. Orion. The type that Job was speaking about. That's not what he's saying they are going to fall. Talking about the people coming down from the place of prominence. And the Bible says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon shall be darkened, and the stars will begin to do what? Begin to fall. In other words, they lose their place of prominence. Because for one thing, as soon as the temple was destroyed, the Levitical priesthood had no more function anymore. Because no man can ascend to ministers of Levi without the temple. Praise the Lord are you following so far so now you watch this act which we started with which is act 20. now let's go back to act 20 so you connect it to Matthew 24. act 20 you connect it back to Matthew 24. look at what it says act 2 verse 20 rather act 2 verse 20 and it said the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the lord come. Amen? Did you find it there? Act 2 verse 20. Peter speaking. Is that alright? Okay. So if you take this and you marry it with Matthew 24 then automatically you're going to understand what Peter was speaking about. Now remember, the prophecy and the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 took some 40 years before they come to fulfill. So even after the day of Pentecost, some 20 years after he had said what he said, Peter was just reiterating what Jesus was speaking about in Matthew 24. Of the darkening of the sun and the moon. But he was giving them a timeline. When these things begin to happen, that the sun and the moon shall be darkened before the great and notable day of the Lord. What is the great and notable day of the Lord? That is when General Titus came in. Praise the living God. You can't pin this into the future. Now that can you begin to ascribe this in the true sense to yourself. It's all fulfilled prophecy. Don't forget. Peter started by saying this is that which is spoken by what? Prophet Joel. In the last days. So the connection has to do with the fact that it has already begun. But he was not telling the verse 20 of what's going to be the next thing. If you read from 17 down to 21, it's all a prophecy connecting down to Matthew 24. After the Ezekiel, the part which is upon my spirit upon all flesh, right? Young watch children, dream, dreams, and prophesy, and see visions, all of that is connected to Joel, which is the last day. So, automatically, that particular two verses or three are already fulfilled. Because men were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And he was saying, that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what God prophesied by prophet who? Joel. But as soon as that is done, he now begins to warn them about the great and notable day of the Lord. So when those things begin to happen, you better watch it. Because this part of the prophecy by Joel is already been fulfilled. The next thing that's going to happen is the sun and the moon shall be darkened. In other words, trouble is now going to come very shortly, leading to the full destruction of our nation in 1870. So that is what Peter was now speaking about in Acts chapter 2 from 17 to 21. Hallelujah. Are you still there with me? Okay. I want you to catch it because it's very important. So, that is precisely what it means for the darkness of the nations. When talking about the sun and the moon being darkened, it's simply saying, no life, destruction, tribulation, oppression. Just name it. It's like saying an enemy invasion is coming to that particular nation at that material time. But for whoever is wise, if such a word comes, even in the literal sense of it, the best you do is to escape for your life. Praise the living God. And that's why the people say brethren what shall we do so repent or believe and thou shalt be saved the word was given to them clearly save from the destruction change your mind the word repent actually simply means what change your mind get out of the system you are embrace the new thing that god is doing as we are now prophesyingly speaking in tongues and giving out the word, because we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, change your mind from the core religion, believe in Christ with the saving grace who has poured Himself right now upon us as by the Holy Spirit, and that shall escape the damnation that is coming, which is being referred to as the grace and notable day of the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, I would like to read one more scripture in terms of the New Testament or application of this. From Revelation six. Revelation six. Praise the living God. Revelation six, let me look at verse number twelve. Six verse number twelve. The Bible says, and I beheld when he has opened the sixth seal. Lord, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as a circlet of hair and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell onto the earth even as fig trees casted forth casted her untimely figs when she shaking of a mighty wind. You know what circlet of hair stands for? Okay. You see, it's like you know the goats; they were rearing goats. Amen. You know most Palestinians are actually shepherds. So now the goat skin were used for bags. Okay, that contains stuff. So when he talks about as black as sackload of hair, he's saying if you have a bag made of goat hair, picture. How inside will look like, maybe if you zip them out together. No light can do what? Penetrate. Are you getting that? He's trying to describe the level of darkness, the level of the thickness of darkness that the people are going to experience and watch this. In the true sense of it, this also spoke precisely of Jerusalem. You know, if you take time to read your Bible, I think Revelation eleven or thereabouts, about, you're going to find why the Bible talks about the two olive trees. And sometimes people refer to them as Moses and Elijah. Is that okay? And then the prophet that prophesied and then talks about uh, where the Lord was crucified, saying Sodom. You remember that it talks about Sodom, where the Lord God was crucified. But we know the Lord God was not crucified in Sodom. Where was the Lord God crucified? In Jerusalem. So, when he makes reference to the Lord being crucified in Sodom, he's trying to say the sinful nature of Jerusalem is the one that crucified Jesus. So, to a large degree, part of this prophecy was referring to Jerusalem. Amen? And knowing again, that the word fig, like I keep saying, actually refers to the house of Jerusalem, the house of Judah, I mean, refers to Israel. Praise the living God. Amen. So here we see in the Bible is talking about, when the sixth seal, which I have to speak about judgment, was opened, Bible said there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as a cloud of air, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casted her untimely fig, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So here we find um, three prophecies of the same event, for instance in Acts we are told that this is that which the prophet Joel spoke. It was the destruction of Jewish nation, like I said before, in 870, and the symbol I use in the same way, just like we have seen, darkness, some darken, cloud darken. Is that okay? Hallelujah. So here we are actually talking about the terrible darkness, and of course, this is directly connected to the great and terrible day of the Lord. Amen. Praise the living God. Like I keep saying, when you talk about earthquakes most often in the Bible, it's not talking about literal earthquakes that I can mention some whatever degrees and all that. Earthquakes actually refers to kind of terrible times of war. Most often. Amen? There are war moments in particular nations. Anytime the word is used. That kind of invasions to nations in times of war. So here we find that the earth actually the Jewish people, the earthquaking of this people is referred to here as the war that was going to come unto them. Hallelujah. Amen. That the on turning into sorrow, like we said before the day of the Lord, and become a black. And the moon and the sun turned into blood red by their own blood, who were shed on the violence, destruction, and the removal of the ancestral line. They were taken out of the land. I spoke to you last week or so. I made you to understand when Hitler was doing what he was doing, I, I, I may not know precisely, but the truth is when Jesus was to be crucified, remember I reminded you of that, even in Matthew 23, Jesus said the same thing. So you are like your fathers. Your fathers killed the prophet, you build the tombs. In other words, you decorate the tombs of where the prophet were buried. So you are doing exactly the same thing your fathers are doing. Therefore, the blood of Abel, down to that of Zechariah was crucified on the altar, shall be upon your head. Remember that? Good. But not just that. When they were to crucify Jesus, Pilate said, God, by divine inspiration as well, ministered to the wife of Pilate, and then went to Pilate and began to tell Pilate, this man is innocent. How I many of you remember that? Can you remember the message on the innocent blood? Amen. This man is innocent. And then Pilate said, well, Israel, you've got to watch me. He washed his hand, and he said, my hands are clean. You take him and crucify him for yourself. How I many of you remember that? Okay, and they said, don't worry. Let this blood be on us and on our children. Don't worry. Wash your hand. We want to receive the blood. And the blood really came in form of judgment. Not only in 1870, but we find that even Hitler had to do terrible things in dealing with the Jewish people. You understand that? Six million Jewish people were killed by Hitler. The other day we were watching the thing on screen. I mean, it's horrible. When you put them in the concentration camp, see them drying out, no food, nothing. Let this blood be on us and our children. It was a prayer, and the prayer was answered. Hallelujah. And these are the prophetic words that we find in scriptures that have to do with the darkening of the sun and the moon over Jerusalem and its people. Even so, One thing is very obvious. The word of God, like I keep saying, is yesterday, today, and forever. That is what I believe. Especially when it comes to the issue of the book of Revelation. I believe it's a word that you can apply. In applying it's different from contextual explanation. Are you there with me? Good. Therefore, even in the application, it has to be with wisdom. Because otherwise, you're going to take the things that are already historical and make them spiritual. And that's a terrible place to be in terms of scriptural interpretation. You cannot spiritualize, in a true sense, the book of Matthew 24 because the fulfilled book is the historical book. The only way you can probably apply it is the world or the things that happened to them I have written, for example, unto us, First Corinthians 10. In other words, if we are sensitive, so what happened to them, we can advance certain things happening to us. But not to say that when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking to you. No, he was speaking to a people. Amen. And that is why you discovered in Matthew 16, and the last two verses the Bible says, Some of you standing here shall not taste of death, until you see the Son of Man come in his glory. He was speaking to people who were literally listening to him. It was not figurative. He wasn't talking to you and I. Amen? Are you following what I'm talking about? So when you read the Bible, you have to read it contextually. And then you find, in terms of application, how you can use it how it can be applied to you but basically most of these things we see which are historical evidence of what took place are not actually for you rather what really pertains to you the more has to do with the letters i've always emphasized that amen the letters were written after jesus have risen the gospels were written when jesus as it were, was still alive though, after his death. But they were the account of his historical life. But the letters are the books written to the churches that have really come into being, rather, the church that have really come into being after his resurrection by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So God was addressing his church. Now you can hardly see much of those languages you find in the gospel in the epistles. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Because for the epistles, the risen Lord was speaking to his church. Over the gospel, the crucified Lord before crucifixion was speaking to a people. So in the true sense of it, God was speaking to a people in one world, now he's speaking to a people in another world. So you can't take what he spoke to those people and begin to apply it to yourself. It doesn't make sense. So if you truly want to find out what God has to say to you, then you read the letters. Amen? Because the point is, if I want to communicate to you, for instance, if I have to serve, I'm serving as your spiritual father in that sense, and uh, I'm out of this place, and I want you to know some things about me or about my mind for you, I put it down in writing, and I can send it to you by either email or post office. Is that okay? Now, it would do you more good to read what is in that letter than to think about the life I live if I travel out. Does that make sense? Because what I'm speaking in those letters has to do with what's right now in my mind and the kind of life that I want you to live in my absence. Now, the life I'm going to live in my absence will give me more joy as compared to how you were living with me when I was with you. Are you, are you getting what I'm talking about? So Jesus sent the letters to his church, and he's saying, "If you look through the letters, you will do this to please me. Not reading my history. My history will not help you as compared to what I have in mind now. So how do you find the mind of God today? You read the letters? How many of you even take them to read the Bible? Praise the Lord. Are we together tonight? I'm trying to make you see one thing. That when you read about the sun shall be dark in the moon, let not your heart be troubled. This sun is not going to be dark. Except there's an eclipse. And even the eclipse will also go away. Come on, am I talking to someone here? They have nothing to do with you. But if God said that to you prophetically, then he's only trying to warn you to avoid troubles. But don't read these things and make them into prophecies and say it's going to happen tomorrow. If you be a minister, don't go preach that. Praise the living God. When the sun was darkened, the moon was darkened over Israel, God's judgment came upon the land. It's a period of distress and desolations and anguish and sorrow. That is what the darkening of the sun and the moon is all about. Amen? Praise the Lord. See you next week. Praise God.